Welcome to the A to the K Wrestling Show. We are joined today by a wrestling icon. You may know him as three-time tag team champion with the Quebecers or as Intercontinental Champion, the Mountie. Well, much like the Mountie, we always get our man because we have the privilege of being joined by the one and only Jacques Rougeau. Jacques, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Carl. I obviously know that I noticed that you're very young because you forgot the fabulous Rougeau brothers in there too. Oh, of course. Oh, don't worry. We've got, quite, we've got questions about that. We know all about you and your brother, Ray. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So how are you guys? How are you, Anthony? Oh, brilliant. Thank you, yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, enjoying the lovely weather we have over here in the UK, you know. <laughs> Do you have any snow over there? Uh, not at the moment. Just get a bit, a, no. a bit of hail, but mostly rain. Yeah, it tends to just be rain, like, you know, 80, 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it's snowing here. We got a good snowstorm today. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I don't, oh, well, man. I say fantastic. I, I enjoy the snow because it's so rare, but I, I imagine it's, uh, I, I don't know if you get the same enjoyment over there in Canada. Well, let's just put it this way. When you guys see it maybe once a year, it's romantic. When you see it about 60 days a year, it's like uh, different there, you know. Yeah. You, you, get, you get used to it. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> so, here we go. So, what, let's, let's go into this podcast and tell me if you have any questions or I'm all here. Brilliant. So, um, obviously, we, we want to share the, or we want to talk about the, the huge news um, of your upcoming Wrestling Academy. Uh, but I thought what we could do first uh, is if we could talk a little bit about, uh, well, look a little bit back to your career, if we could. Um, so for me, I'd like to start off, um, obviously, you, your father was also a professional wrestler. Uh, so my first question to you would be that, um, did you always know, um, sort of from growing up and from watching your father, that that's what you wanted to do, that you wanted to follow in his footsteps? Yeah, of course, but it goes a little further than that. Uh, my... Uh... My father was a wrestler and his brother, my father's brother was a wrestler. They were the original Rougeau brothers, Johnny and Jacques Rougeau. Wow. And, and their uncle was Eddie Auger uh, because, uh, because Johnny and Jacques Rougeau's mother was, Ed, uh, was Albino Auger and her brother Eddie was a wrestler. So, so we're four generations actually. We got Eddie, wow. then we got Johnny and Jacques, then we got me, Raymond and Armand, and then I got my three sons. Yeah, wow, yeah, that's a, wow. a real legacy in wrestling, then, yeah. It's like a wrestling <laughs> dynasty almost, you know. It's, <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah. to answer your question, to be honest with you, when I was the age of four years old, uh, I, ha I had this showmanship in me. I don't know why. I was, I, was, uh, I, I was a real wrestler at four years old. I was imitating, I don't know if you ever heard of Abdullah the Butcher. But uh, but I, I used to go I used to go around the pool and put a sheet on my head and I'd put the and I'd act like I was Abdullah walking around the pool and I had it so well and you know I was imitating the wrestlers it was my fun and uh, and from the young age people all my friends and everybody they I entertained them when I was very young so they all told me oh it's for sure you're gonna be a wrestler I guess you're gonna be a wrestler like your dad <laughs> and so everybody telling me that all the time I guess. Uh, they made my destiny because I, I played into it. I liked the attention I was getting. And then finally, I guess that brought me to become a wrestler. <laughs> yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Hopefully significantly less uh, blood than Abdullah the Butcher, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Not just but, four you know, years what? old. There was a lot in the time. You know, Abdullah, there was a couple of guys like him. There was a guy called Joe LaDuke also. Uh, Joe LaDuke, the LaDuke brothers, uh, the, the Lumberjacks. And Joe LaDuke, it was a competition between Joe LaDuke and Abdullah. Who's going to bleed the most at night, you know? And uh, so, But it was only in the main event. 
you'd never see blood like all night long. You know, you'd have uh, different kinds of styles of wrestling during the evening for kids in the early hours. And then it got more or less acrobatic. And then it got more a little rougher. And then at the end, when Abdullah and my father would come out or, or my uh, Abdullah, with my uncle, you know, it was going to be a battle of forks. And a battle of blood, <laughs> and, uh, so, but it, and it was scary for me because I was a, at a young age, and, and you know I wasn't smart before uh, to the business. I didn't know it was it, it was fake until I was twelve years old. So when I was like six, seven years old, and I might see my dad or bleed in the ring, like you know, it was ah, oh, it was like I was taking it so, so at heart, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, God, I can only imagine. Um, but obviously, you know, uh, you know, as you said, you, you know, a really historic kind of family. Uh, business if you will and you know much like your dad um, you also team with your brother Ray um, but you started kind of uh, working in Stampede Wrestling as well I just I kind of wondered um, how was it working for Stu Hart? Yeah, it was amazing you know uh, you just had to stay away from the dungeon but uh, but everything <laughs> <laughs> but everything was good because in his basement Stu Hart he had a dungeon where all the rough wrestlers would go and the, the tough guys would go, you know, and, and me being an artiste, because I'm not a tough guy in real life. I just had tough characters or I, or I played the role of a wrestler, but I'm a real normal human being. So when I was, uh, so when I was, went to Calgary, it was so funny because we were doing the loop on Stampede Wrestling. And then on Sundays, at the beginning, I thought it's because he liked me, but Stu Hart would always invite me to have dinner at his home at lunch, like, you know, at noon to have uh, with the family. But then right after that, he'd, he'd, he'd want to go down to the dungeon, you know, <laughs> and I'd always find an excuse, you know, well, I can't do it this Sunday, but uh, <laughs> maybe next Sunday. <laughs> but it was fun working with him. Brett was driving the bus at that time. You know, Brett Hart, he was oh, wow. again. Yeah. And uh, I remember Brett one time coming from Saskatoon, he, we were all sleeping in the bus and bang and bread hit a moose you know with the bus wow. and, and, that, and, that, and that was that was a wake-up call but uh <laughs> I can imagine they're not but, small animals but i had there was a guy there you probably know this guy maybe because i think he was from where you, you came from there was two guys there was john foley i don't know if you remember him john foley and there was the tony charles i don't know if you ever heard of tony charles the wrestlers uh, yeah, I think they were like uh, World of Sport kind of years over here. Wales, they, they, they came big. from Wales, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was, after that, I met another guy who, who uh, Tony Charles brought in. His name was Scott McGee. You know, I, I, I don't know if that rings a bell to you guys, Scott McGee. No, no, not, a little not, bit before not, my not time, McGee. unfortunately, I think. Yeah, you're gonna have to go into talk to your historian there and, uh, and go <laughs> into the, But remember those names because Tony Charles. Uh, was a great, great wrestler, and and he had the same accent as you guys, or just about, and uh, and also uh, John Foley, and uh, but it was a great crew then, you know, uh, you know the Hart's family, they were, uh, I think they had like ten kids, and or eleven kids, I can't remember, but there was like six that were wrestling, uh, you know, yeah. and uh, so it was really a big, big wrestling family on the west. But what a great adventure! And from there on, I went to Mexico, and then I started doing small territories. Kansas City, Atlanta, Georgia, and then Tennessee. And before 85, I was doing all those little territories in the States and uh, ended up in 85 in the WWF. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Amazing. It's, uh, yeah, I imagine there's nothing quite like the territories, to be fair. Um, but obviously, as you say, uh, you and your brother Ray both went to the to the WWF, um, both as the, the fabulous Rougeos. Um, no, 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 no. We went as the Rujo brothers. Oh, apologies. And, and, apologies. Then, and then for two years, two years, we were the Rujo brothers. And we and, and we were wrestling the hearts many times with Jimmy mm -hmm. Hart as their manager. And then two years later, 
we switched bad guys, we switched heels, and we became the fabulous Rougeau brothers with the right. little American flags. And then the hearts, they became good guys. So then we wrestled <laughs> for them another two years. So I wrestled with the Heart Foundation for four years when I started my career in WWF. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I didn't realize. So I just went straight to Fabulous Rougeau's there, apologies. Um, so obviously, yeah, in your time in WWF, ultimately, I believe it was the start of 1990, your brother Ray decided to sort of step away from the ring. Um, so I'd like to ask sort of how did that sort of affect yourself? Were you sort of heading towards a, a solo run anyway, or was this something you had to sort of rethink what you wanted to do then in WWF? That's a good question because, you know, in 1989, Raymond stopped. We came in 86, 87, 88, and 89. And in 89, Raymond had enough, had enough money, had enough of wrestling, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and I had enough of the road because I'd been on the road for four years. So when Raymond took a break, he said, I wanted to quit. Mm. I was just agreeing with him. Like, and yeah. plus, you know, we, we had a rough time before we quit there with the British Bulldogs. Everybody knows the story. I don't want to get into it. But, no, of course. Yeah. But, but so it was a rough time mentally for us. So once we mm. managed to make it through this big altercation and they had left, then after that, the passion of wrestling had kind of left us too because it was such a mental battle. That, that we had to go through. And, and uh, so yeah. Raymond decided to quit. So even I was so happy to get away from the boys, you know, four years married, 25 days a month with those guys on the road in the dressing rooms in the gyms and everywhere in the arenas. Uh, it's like I needed a divorce with the boys. <laughs> so, uh, so, so then the year off was very welcome. Plus my wife at the time, she was just pregnant of my first son. So, uh, so, so it just happened. It was good for me to to yeah. to, to, to get them to regenerate into real life to go back into how do you how do you say that to to like um, to to cool down not to cool down but to, to stabilize my life you yeah, know of like, course. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah because when you're when you're in that jungle for four years uh, you know it, it's wild there's a lot of things that happen and you know a lot of people were thinking at the time that we were traveling worldwide they were saying wow Jean. What a lucky guy you are. Like, wow, that must be fun. It, it's fun if your flight's not delayed, if you don't lose your luggage, if you know you have some time to sleep, and if you're not, you don't have an injury that you got to carry for a few days. Or, but, but it's, uh, and you never have your family with you. You're away from your kids for, and your family for 25 days a month. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't such a glamorous life that people thought it was. Well, no, uh, definitely it's not. It's a and grueling business, to be fair. Absolutely. Um, but obviously, you know, Jack, as I mentioned uh, to you, you know, many times before, you know, the Mountie character, he, he was big, really big in my household growing up. Obviously, you know, you as the Mountie happened to be my uh, dad's favorite wrestler, um, which is, you know, <laughs> a huge thing. Obviously, I um, obviously had the Hasbro action figures and stuff like that. Um, you, you obviously, were... <laughs> your dad, obviously, your, obviously, your dad liked authority. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely you know yeah. he had good taste you know he was always a fan of the heels um but obviously I'd, you know i just kind of wanted to know how did that mounty gimmick kind of come about obviously they went you know wf leaned quite heavily into gimmicks at that point how did you know where did the mounty character come from well i was just sitting at home and it'd been a year since i'd been off and uh, doing a couple of independent shows here and there just to I was going to Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon and uh, a couple of little shots, but not too long, just one or two days on the road. Then I'd come back for like a month and I'd do, uh, and then the phone rang and then it was Vince who called me and Vince McMahon. And he just, uh, and he says, Jacques, he says, I think we have a character for you and that I'd like for you to have. And, I, and I'd say, oh yeah. So next thing you know, is they're sending a, they're sending a crew, a, a filming crew up in Canada to, uh, and they're bringing a horse and they're bringing a, 
this this mounting gear and the whole thing and uh, so so they got me starting vignettes and uh, and before I started when I did those vignettes uh, it took like about five weeks they were showing those vignettes around the world before I actually entered the circuit you mm -hmm. know and yeah. and uh, and that's when I had the idea I called Vince back up and I said uh, because of a manager that was when I was young in our wrestling territory there was a guy a manager called Eddie Creechman Eddie the Brain Creechman and he had a shock stick. And he, he used to scare, scare the hell out of me when I was in the dressing room with that shock stick, you know? And, and I was really, I was really scared, uh, really scared. So it's like, if, and, and I thought to myself, I always loved that gimmick as a kid, you know? Although I hated it when he came in the dressing room, but I loved the gimmick. It was so amazing that, that I said, well, if I believed in that gimmick, then the people are going to believe in that gimmick. Yeah. And, and then my, my friend, my close friend, it, went, it got even worse. He told me, he says, well, let's make a real one. So I said, oh yeah, <laughs> and then he said. So then he put that. He, he put that. He took a lawnmower where you mow the grass there, and he took the coil inside. So he reversed the wires, and it gave him a pretty strong lawnmower. So at the end, instead of having your wires going to A and B or plus or negative, he switched them around, and and it made this big big flame at the end every time <laughs> I put the switch on. And, and 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 it's funny because people ask me today. They said. Did it really work that stick, you know? And I always answer, I never tried it on me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So that was my idea, the stick. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was uh, oh, nice. the idea, the the character, and I had the idea of the stick. But but what a great what a great ride that was. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Indeed. So um, you mentioned um, filming the vignettes. Um, I have to ask, obviously, because of the um, like you say that there was quite a bit of it and obviously the concept was you're riding around on the horse and, and berating people essentially um what was it like sort of having to film those vignettes and, and particularly uh, having to work with a horse as well it might have been uh, quite difficult yeah, at times I, it was magic it was so magic i gotta tell you this this is funny this is a nice little uh, i'll bring you into something cool uh when i i was on my horse they first my, my first vignette they they did with me uh, i'm sitting on my horse and i'm in the middle of a park and uh, we're, we're in a Quebec park here. And, uh, and uh, there's this car that pulls up beside me. And I'm on my horse real straight with my hat on and my suit. And I'm standing straight. And I got this ugly face, you know, like serious face. And uh, this guy pulls up to me with his girlfriend beside me in his car. And then he says, uh, excuse me, officer. Excuse me, officer. And he puts his window down and he says that to me. And I look down to him and I say, I'm not an officer on the Mountie. So the guy looks at his girlfriend in the car like, holy shit, I think I just got a nut here. So then he turns back to me and he goes, excuse me, Mr. Mountie, can you tell me how to get back to the USA? I'm lost. And then and that's so funny because then I'm on my horse and I look at him and then slowly I put my leg over the ass of my horse and I get <laughs> off. And then as I get off in this character of a rugged policeman, I get to the car and I look at him and I say, come here. And then as the way in my tone of voice, and he was so afraid of me, the way I'd answered him at the beginning, so he didn't want to get out of the car. So he looks at his girlfriend, and his girlfriend says, come on, get out, chicken. So then he gets out, and then I bring him to the front of my horse. And when we get to the front of my horse, I take the front of my horse like this in my hand, and I bring it up like this. And I look at him, and I said, you see that part of my horse? It always points to Canada. <laughs> and I went all the way back around the horse. And then I took the tail of the horse and I lifted the tail of the horse. And you could absolutely see, you could see everything there. And, and then the cam was right in. And I looked at him and I said, you see that part of the horse? It always points to the USA. And the guy looked at me. 
And then he jumped in the, car, in the car and he started spinning his wheels and he got out of there like crazy. And then they showed that for five weeks around the world. And, and that vignette for five weeks. And I can remember Mean Gene Okerlund and Jesse the Body Ventura. He was by the ring and he was saying, well, you know, Mean Gene, let's go to Canada and see this new guy coming in the Mountie and, and for five weeks. And they were showing that vignette where I was showing the ass of the horse all the time, pointing to the USA. And when I, boy, they don't have a sense of humor in the USA, I'll tell you. Because <laughs> when I got there for my first shots there, holy mackerel. I would, the people were throwing, you know, I was parking outside the building to go into the arena. I would go down the ramp where the hockey players would park, down the ramp there in the arenas. And, and but the, the, the fans, the groupies, the, the crazy maniacs, they were up on top there and, and they start throwing rocks at me when I'd get out of my car. <laughs> but, if, but they didn't take that joke very, very kindly. And then, you know, so, so, so when I finally, after that first time where I got split in the head by a rock, I, I told Vince, I said, hey, I'm going to have to park inside now, you know. And he says, well, nobody can. So then they had a police car come and get me in my hotel for the next month where they would escort me into the building and they would drop me off because people literally wanted to kill me. You know, they were, they were, they have no sense of humor. <laughs> Unreal. Wow. <laughs> Definite heel heat. No, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I, I, I even remember, you know, that vignette, um, just like Aaron and stuff like that from old like VHS um, tapes and stuff like that. So no, it was definitely a standout moment. Um, one of the biggest moments though, obviously has to be your Intercontinental title win. Um, you know, me as a kid enthralled with the likes of yourself and Brett and Roddy Piper, you know, the Intercontinental title at that time, not so much anymore, at that time was, you know, such a prestigious title to hold as well. How did how did you becoming the Intercontinental champion kind of all come about? I, I'd like to tell you that story, but I'd like to correct just one thing. They, 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 for me, it's not one of the greatest mo moments as the Mountie. For me, the greatest moment as the Mountie was with Big Boss Man, the jailhouse match when I went to jail. But we'll get to that later. Yes. But anyway, yes, <laughs> that, that was my, my uh, iconic moment as the Mountie. But, but as mm -hmm. far as beating Bret Hart, you know, Bret Hart wasn't always a, an easy businessman to do with. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, he, he protected his image so much that when it came the time to lose a match or something, he'd always had to have some problem or something. He wasn't easy to deal with. Actually, that's why he had the screw job in Montreal with Shawn Michaels, mm -hmm. because he didn't want to drop the title and he was leaving the company. So Vince had no other choice to do what he did. That, he had no choice. Mm -hmm. And when every time we were working with Brett, I remember one time we were working actually uh, uh, Raymond and I against the Hart Foundation before the Mountie, and we, were, uh, we had a title match in Montreal. And we beat the Hart Foundation and the Montreal Forum, 18,000 people. The people went nuts like it was a Stanley Cup in hockey that we just won. You know, it was wild. There was like 5,000 people outside the building waiting for us, banging on our cars. They were so happy for us. And then they Amazing. got, and then three days later, before TV showed on the next Saturday, it was like they put an ad, in, a small ad in the paper in Montreal. And they said, because it wasn't the right guy in the ring, the hearts will remain champions. So when they got on TV on that Saturday, not everybody saw that article in the paper during the week. So when they saw the hearts come with the bells, the fans in Montreal were like, hey, we waited all week to see the Rougeos on TV champions. Now that was the screw job in Montreal for the Montreal fans and for all of us. That definitely was. So when I was put in a great situation as Brett had to drop the title to Piper, on the pay-per-view, I don't think Brett wanted to do that. 
So what they did, they figured a thing like two days before the pay-per-view where Brett came into the ring and he announced, that the announcer announced that he had 104 fever and that he shouldn't wrestle. And then, and then here I came and I guess I beat a dead guy, you know, but uh, <laughs> so, I, so, so I took the title off of Brett just to switch it two nights later to Piper. I got to tell you, I kind of put all my energy in those scripts anyway. With Piper, I had a great time and all that. But the funniest thing out of all that is like, I got to tell you this, and you just confirmed it two minutes ago. It's like I took the belts for two days. But that night when I took the belt, I called a journalist in Montreal. I was in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts when I took the title. Mm-hmm. And I and I called the, the, this, this old newspaper guy that probably goes to bed at eight o'clock at night. And I called him at 11 o'clock at night, you know, and I told him. And so I got him out of bed and, uh, and I said, hey, Andre, Andre, I said, can I send you a picture? I'm going to send you a picture with the Intercontinental. That was for my home, you know. I said, can I send you a yeah. picture for, with the Intercontinental title? And he said to me, he says, Jacques, it's 11 o'clock at night, Jesus Christ. He <laughs> says, call me on Thursday. And I looked at him, I said, no, 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 I, I can't call you. <laughs> because I won't be champion anymore. I gotta, you got to put the picture now or we're not putting it at all. And it's so funny because he put the picture. I got the credibility. Then I lost it on pay-per-view a couple of days later. But the funniest thing is, is when I go in Comic-Cons today and I go in autographs today, session, they all have these dolls with the intercontinental title around my waist. And I only <laughs> kept it for two days. But, yeah. they, they, but somehow I'm still celebrating that victory when I go and <laughs> signatures and autographs. So, so I guess it would, like you said, at those, in those days, the belt had an impact. So, so, mm-hmm. so, so, so I left a good impact. So probably when I went to the pay-per-view coming in as a champion against Piper, that gave me credibility that, that follows me until today. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you know, it's definitely one of my fondest moments. Was the um, obviously I remember Brett having the hundred and four fever. Was was there some kind of contract dispute at the time or something? Is that was, this, I don't was there anything I, in that? I, or? I didn't, you know, I, I didn't butt in either. I I, uh, I was so excited to just steal the title for two days. To be honest <laughs> yes, with you, of course. And, uh, so, so I didn't. Uh, but it was so funny because when when Vince and Pat took me into the the little locker room, and then uh, and Vince says, uh, "We got uh, I got some news for you, Jacques." And then I said, "Okay." I was like concerned, like, you know, I was excited, but concerned. And he says, we're going to put the title on you tonight. And I went like, oh, oh. And while I was doing all that, oh, oh, oh. And then Pat says, hey, don't be too happy there. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> in two days, you're losing it. And then I went like, ah, oh, oh, okay, I'll take it. You know, like, I'll take the two days. But uh, so that's how it happened, pretty much. <laughs> but it, it does it does show you though, you know, it's not the length of the title reign necessarily. It's it's the memories it makes because it's certainly one of the one of our biggest memories in our childhood is, is that moment there with Roddy. Amazing, it's amazing. Back and forth as well. Yeah. Um, so so now let's get down to some serious business with the jailhouse match. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that that was amazing. Indeed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know. You know, obviously, we're 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 kind of going to go on to that in terms of uh, boss man. Like, I would love to know. Just obviously, you work such a memorable program with the big boss man. Um, you know, the jailhouse match and everything. Like, but you know, what was it? What was it like working with him and memories and things like that? God bless Ray Trailer. You know, one of the greatest mm-hmm. guys uh, in and out of the ring. He was such a nice guy out of the ring. Uh, friendly Southern accent and friendly Southern. Uh, 
Southern hospitality. You know, he was a he was the kind of guy that you know I I never saw him, I never saw him mad. I think in the, as the Mountie in the two years that I was there, he's always he got along with everybody. And in the ring, he was so soft. Like you know, he he looked so rough. What he'd do, you know, when he'd shoot you in on the ropes, and they'd pick you up sideways, and they'd bring you down in that slam thing. But he was so generous because he would always put the weight on his elbows and on his knees, and he would protect the guy that he was bringing down. So everybody liked to work with that guy because. Mm. And I worked night after night. I was married with him for like a, for, for for quite a bit. But but before mm. that, that was in the second year. But the first year was amazing, is because I kept. For a long time, I can't remember how long now, but I was beating everybody. And every time, then sometimes, you know, he'd come around the ring and just, or I'd go like this, big boss, man, I'm going to, and because I was the law enforcement officer of Canada mm -hmm. and he was the law enforcement officer from the state, you know, in Georgia, yeah. the Georgia patrol. So, so he was beating everybody. I was beating everybody. And it was like a, a confrontation that, that, that was getting closer and closer. And, and what a buildup into that jailhouse match it was. Yeah, Indeed. such a That's such it. a fantastic That's chemistry, it. isn't it? <laughs> the gimmicks just come together perfectly for it as well. Didn't need to be fair. Mm. He was a he was a yeah yeah his his gimmick was and he was just coming off a, a, a run with Hogan, you know. So so he was pure hot there. He was wrestling mm. Hogan just before me. Uh, so so it was like he was really on fire and everybody loved the boss man because he had then turned babyface after he did his run with Hogan. He turned babyface and then everybody loved him to death. And you know that jailhouse match was so memorial from memorable for me because you know i had i had the three memorable matches in the madison square garden i had that, that are memorable i had plenty of them but three are mm -hmm. memorable the first one was when i came in in 86 and they put me i just come in in with raymond as baby faces and they put me in singles raymond against volkov and me against the iron sheik and, and iron sheik had just lost the title to bob backland and then he was the world champion and, I, and, I, and they put me over against the Sheik when I came in. So I Amazing. beat the, the Sheik in Madison wow. Square Gardens. And then the other memorable match was with the Bulldogs. You know, we had a 20-minute Broadway. Mm -hmm. And that was a memorable match. Incredible. And then this was my third one with Big Boss Man being the main event, the co-main event with Hogan with this jailhouse match. But the funniest thing is they were advertising the two big matches that night that they were promoting was Hogan and they were promoting our match. But the funniest thing is, is we... Uh, that I'm going to tell you something really funny. So I don't know where we're going with this. You know, I have no idea what we're going to do that night. You know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, and I'm hoping, I'm just hoping. And anyway, that I'll get a break there or something. And uh, so anyway, so I get this call at the, the morning of the show at about 11 o'clock at the hotel room. I pick up the phone and then it's Vince. And, and Vince says, uh, Jacques, he says, uh, we're going to do some pre-tapes, you know, like to insert during the show. He says, would you mind going to the jail? The jailhouse, and I was like, uh, okay, okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so anyway, I went to the jailhouse, and all those vignettes that we did that night with the prints of the fingers, and the, and the, give me your finger, and I wouldn't give him my finger, and finally I gave him the finger, and, the, and all that stuff, and that big boss man, we did another vignette where where I had my hand, my head down. I was like, and they wanted to take my picture with a number, like a criminal behind my back oh, there. Yeah. And I was had my head down. And then they were saying, look up, we'll take a picture. Look up. And then finally the, the boss man came out of nowhere behind me and he said, hey, who's going to be with your wife tonight? And I went, ah! <laughs> you know, they took the picture and all that kind of stuff, the vignettes. But, but the funniest thing was, is when we got to the building at the gardens that night, 
I looked at the sheet, you know, I, I wasn't thinking at all because I didn't have vignettes in the morning. I had no idea why, but anyway, I thought it was going to be like just before Hulk, you know, main event or something. And I was like the second match of the night or the first match of the night. And then I, and when I got there, I was so surprised, but then I understood because after every match that was on the card, they, me and Gene and Jesse DeBarri would say, well, you know, me and Gene, let's go back to the precinct and see how the Mounties yeah, do. Because, yeah. because they arrested <laughs> me early that night so they could play off that vignette all night long, the vignettes that I did in the morning. But, 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 uh, wow, what a great memory, especially when they put me in the, with the guy there that kind of liked the other guys there, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and they, they was behind me. It was so funny because, uh, but it was, it was, in those days, you know, it wasn't politically incorrect. So they, no, so they, no. so, so they played that, that little thing there and people sure loved it when the guy tapped on my shoulder and I was like, get out of here. And I'm tapping and I'm like, let me out of here. I'm in a law enforcement officer. You can't keep me. And the guy's going like this. And I turn on the guy. A monster, and he goes and he looks like this, and he gets right in my face, and I'm going, like, and then he comes to me and he goes, "Hi," <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I swear to God, if there was, you know, every building around the world was watching that match, and every yeah. building that there was no wrestling, they were sold out. It was on giant screens everywhere on the world, yeah. and when that moment happened, I had been, and they told me so many times how much. That moment will will cherish for the rest of their life there when I was arrested and put in the jail and spend the night there in the slammer. So so yeah. that was very an epic moment as the Mountie, really. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. So um, you've mentioned, obviously, uh, I, I would say, I dare say your favorite match. Um, and this may be something that you might, you, you might not have a single answer for, but uh, I wonder, do you have a, a particular favorite opponent from your career? You know, I, I, you know, I did, I had so, so much, there was so much good talent when I was there at the time. But to be honest with you, yes, I do. In, in singles, if you're not talking about boss man, I'm going to have to say uh, Tito Santana. You know, working with Tito Santana was so much fun. There was no angles or nothing, but it was fun. Uh, working with the rockers, Sean, Mar uh, Sean Michaels and Marty Janetti as the rockers. You know, we did marathon matches for an hour mm -hmm. matches long at, and we did that like we did. There was one week we did like five matches, five one hour matches. And on the last day we were in London or we were in Paris. I can't remember which. And we did a, a marathon match, an hour match. But since we have six hours difference here in the States, but, but earlier. So we did a one hour match and then we flew home. And we did an hour match in Philadelphia that night. So we did two one hour matches and it was easy because those guys were probably the greatest tag team to work with because they were handsome, they were good looking. The the girls were going nuts as soon as they just lifted a finger, you know. <laughs> so you know it's like and, and we were such good heels, Raymond and I, because we had the, the psychology of wrestling. We never got into cheap heat. Like, we never used the heat, like, uh, looking at a fan, like, saying, ah, fat, so shut up, or, ah, you're ugly, or, that's, that's what I call cheap heat. Mm. We got the heat, the good heat. We got the heat where we'd cheat behind the referee's back, and every time he turned around, we'd be safe. Yeah, yeah. And then every time, the, so the people would be so freaking pissed because they'd see <laughs> that we're, we're, we're actually fooling the referee. And they were trying to tell the referee, you know, like to turn around, Jesus Christ. And when they turn around, we'd have a legal move on them, you know, and, <laughs> and that was real heat in the yeah. wrestling business. So, so, so what great workers to do that with the rockers, they were, they were perfect. for them. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, as well, 
you know, as the as the Mountie character, one of the obviously you know fondest memories is uh, you know Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart working with you as well as your manager. Have you got any um, any kind of fond memories or stories about Jimmy? Jimmy Hart, you know, I was almost you know I had him as the fabulous Rougeau brothers. I had him as the Mountie, and you know I spent so much time with Jimmy Hart. And even when I was in Memphis, Tennessee in 1978, he was there with Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and those guys, and I met him there. So. He was part of my life. And Jimmy Hart was the greatest, greatest manager of all time. Jimmy Hart, he beats all the other managers. And I'm talking about the big ones, you know, Bobby Heenan mm -hmm. and in my book as a professional wrestler, because he had something that all the other, the, the, all the other managers did not have. For example, he had a suit, a coat made out for one, every one of his talents like us, it was like French Canadian, French uh, flags and the music mm -hmm. on. And then uh, and the other guys, they, he had a suit for everybody. That was the first thing. He really gave yeah. his, 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 uh, his wrestler credibility. And then he made every, every music that I know of, that the guys had music done, like in the ring, as far as Hulk and Beefcake and all the guys that had music. Vince would turn to Jimmy Hart because he was a former real singer. He was in a group called the Gentries in the 50s. And he was on the charts, like in the top 20s and the, oh. the, the Soul Train, the good old days. So he was a, so he created all the music. But the best thing of all that, that, that separated Jimmy from all the managers, it was like every time you get, unlike all the other managers that would say, let me tell you something. My man here, he's going to do this, this but I'm smart. I'm the one. They were always taking the credibility, the managers, like they're the greatest mm -hmm. managers. Jimmy never. Jimmy would always come in. Let me tell you something about my man. Let me tell you something. He's the greatest. He's this. He's that. And it was never him. It was mm -hmm. always, he was so generous of his time. And he made his, he made his wrestler feel like he, Jesus, you know, he made us feel amazing. And, and, and he gave credibility to the wrestler instead of taking the time, the airtime for himself to try to impress that he was great. And that's why Jimmy Hardy is now 76 years old and he's still everywhere. He's in comic cons everywhere. I'm with him next week in Minneapolis, actually. I'm going to that's do a comic con with the Bushwhacker Luke and the Greg the Hammer Valentine. All four of us are going to be there. So it's oh, like nice. Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart really understood how to give value to his prodigy. And then, and no other wrestler did that. Uh, no, I'm sorry, no other manager had mm -hmm. ever done that in my book. So that's why, to me, up to date, Jimmy Hart is the greatest manager of all times. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, totally understand. I'm, it's certainly, definitely nothing you see in today's uh, sort of wrestling. If you don't mind oh, saying it anyway, you don't see managers quite <laughs> like that anymore. Um, so, one other question I'd like to ask, because um, it's something I've heard and uh, I'm not sure if it's true, but uh, is it true that? Uh, you were unable to perform under the Mountie character in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's amazing. And yeah? the Mountie was so hot. We were so, and just at the end of my, actually the end of my jailhouse match, the, the feud and the run I had, uh, he started another angle with, uh, with Sergeant Slaughter with me. You know, he's, and, and as soon as I got into that angle, the RCMP in Canada, they, they, they took a, a uh, they took a, uh, how do you call that? A uh, jurisdiction, uh, uh, a lawsuit against the WWF. And because they said that the, they, the Mounties actually said, we're not the image that you're showing the world and you're giving us a bad reputation. So they banned me from wrestling on TV. But by doing that, 
the, all the TV tapings were done in one day everywhere, like, you know, in the mm. States. Or so I, they had to pull me off the TV. And if you pull, if you pulled off TV, your character is, is dying. And, and to be honest with you, I was just starting with that character. To, I would have had a long run with the Mountie. I probably, you know, I had four years with the fabulous Rougeau brothers. You know, I sure I could have gave another four years with the Mountie. So, so I was only into my second year when that happened. Like after nice. two years, so so they really ruined my career, and it's like this. I don't know if you have that expression in, in, in England, but it's like a, a, you know, you if somebody's like a little stuck up there or snobbish a bit, you tell them, "Hey, mm -hmm. get off your high horse!" There, you yeah. know. <laughs> the, yeah. but, but me as a mountie, <laughs> I couldn't get off my high horse. That was my gimmick. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Obviously, um, you know, you mentioned obviously working with Brother Ray, working with um, obviously uh, Carl Ouellette as well, um, you know, and also singles as the Mountie. Which did you prefer, if any? You know, did you prefer being part of a tag team or did you prefer that kind of singles run? You know, I had a guy not long ago who asked me in the podcast, he said, Jacques, he says, if you were the, the Quebecers on one side and you were the fabulous Rougeau brothers on the other side... <laughs> Who would win? <laughs> and I, I said, it. I would. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but they were all great characters. You know, to be honest with you, I had fun. They were different. You know, mm. uh, uh, me and Raymond, we were smart. We were devious. We were, and me and Carl, we were tough, but we were rough. But it was two characters that were different. And uh, so I actually enjoyed the, the, the three, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you which one I liked the most. They were all different. And, and the Mountie as a single, that was different too. So I was lucky. I, uh, I had three characters that, that worked. And uh, that's so, so what can I say? I, I don't have a real good answer for you. I'll tell you what, though, if um, obviously uh, Carlo went on to play the, um, the pirate gimmick, would you have played a pirate gimmick? With uh, with Carl Ouellette, if they asked you to. <laughs> no, well, no, no, because Carl Ouellette played that gimmick, as you know, because he really lost the eyesight when he was young, out of an eye. So yeah. for him, for him, it was an easy thing to do. It was yeah, it wouldn't change. Yeah. But if you were going to put a patch on my eye, which I never, I always had my two eyes to see. Uh, you lose a dimension there. Yeah, you know when you put your eye. Yeah. If you put a, if anybody wants to try this at home, there. If you put your your family <laughs> this, and you try to touch something, you're going to be short, or you're going to be too far. You're going to be missing a, a dimension. But mm, he was used course. to that. He had had it since he was young. So he knew how to work like that. I would probably have a problem with the guy taking, if he was charging me, well, how far is he? <laughs> you know, is he? <laughs> yeah, is he so. <laughs> so I wouldn't be able to have a patch on my eye. You know, that, that wouldn't have worked good for me. Oh, of course, yeah. Of course. So um, obviously we're from the UK, as, as we mentioned earlier. So um, naturally, I just need to ask, you know, um, is there any sort of fond memories you have from from our side of the pond or any you know, oh, yes. what you thought of the, the UK fans in general as well? Oh, I love them. I love them. <laughs> I have a two, three that I could tell you real fast. So when I got into London, there was a guy working at the Holiday Inn where we'd stay at. He was a doorman. And I was a great golfer when I was young, by the way. I played golf tremendously. And this, and I, I, I travel with my, every time I went around the world when I was traveling, I had my wrestling gear and I had my golf bag. And then, you know, I was like passionate. I'd even shoot, I, even in my, my hotel room, I'd put out a mat, I'd put a mattress on the wall, I'd put numbers on the mattress and I'd chip my ball to make sure that I was like a fanatic of golf. Yeah. And there was this guy that was working at the door, a bellman. And then and I started talking about that one time and he started bringing me around to play golf in there. So I had a great time. There's a lot of hills. 
Well, you know, uh, but uh, <laughs> but it was a different kind of golf than when you go in Nevada or Arizona where it's all flat, you know, or even here. You know, oh, yeah, I can so imagine, yeah. It's, uh, and, uh, but it, and it was different, too. The grass was bent differently. It was, uh, it was different. But I enjoyed playing golf there tremendously. Another thing that I really liked, too, is uh, when Jimmy Hart and I would land uh, in London, I think it was. I think it was in London. Uh, all the guys, you know, they partied a lot when they were on the road. And then, you know, after the shows, they'd go out, drink and drink, and they'd get up in the morning, well, at noon, and uh, <laughs> and they so so and they they'd recuperate. And but 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 I never drank and I never did drugs, and neither did Jimmy. So that's why we hang around a lot. We hang around a lot. And 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 there was a place in London. It was called the Underground, where where there was like shopping centers, but underground underneath. And uh, and there was a lot of bootleggers then. There was a lot of people that were selling some uh, some un uh, some merchandise that was illegal that it wasn't <laughs> for the WWF and, and and I was walking there with Jimmy one time and I see this big poster wow it must have been like three feet by three feet it was a huge one and he had all the stars at the time you could see all the stars but in the middle you have like Bret Hart was about this big bigger than the others and then there was me who was about this big. And I was the biggest one, and behind me had Ultimate Warrior, Hogan, and all those guys. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like the featured guy on that poster. And I looked at Jimmy and I said, Jimmy, I'm taking this home with me. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming home, you know. And, uh, that, that, that was another thing too that I enjoyed. And that, the other thing too that I thought was funny too, that the souvenir that I have. Actually, I two more. I got one where I wrestled for the first time in a singles match as the Mountie against Randy Macho Man Savage with Miss Elizabeth for the title. You know, for the, the main event for the title of Mountie against the Macho Man. You know, that what a prestigious position for me oh, to have. Yeah. That, 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 that I remember that. And I also remember another time that, that I thought was really funny. We were at this big, big show. Uh, and there was like 70,000 people. I can't remember it was in Europe, but there was a big, big show. And, and I can't remember, I think maybe Manchester or I don't know, where, where is their big building? You guys must have had your history. There was a big, big, big show where you could have 70,000 people. But anyway, there was a Road Warriors and they were coming out with their motorcycles, you know, to the ring. And Hawk, you know, he was a heavy drinker and on the gimmicks there, you know. So, mm -hmm. so he, he had took too much before he got to the show. And with his motorcycle, he ran into their people, you know, those <laughs> <laughs> And that, for me, is like a funny memory. Because, you know, you talk about a screw-up when Vince is backstage and he's waiting them for to get off their bike and everything's timed on the show. Everybody's timed. And then they go and they run into the people. He fell off the bike. God almighty. Oh, I can only <laughs> imagine the reaction. Know, it's, not a, it's not a funny souvenir. Well, I mean, it's, it's a funny souvenir, but it, it's not one that makes them look too good. But anyway, it was, <laughs> it, it was something I remembered. Yeah, oh, it was absolutely, to be fair. Yeah. yeah and i think as well you know that, that that poster probably rings true obviously i was saying that you were such a you know um a big influence in our household you know in the uk uh, growing up as well so you were definitely over in the uk let's put it that way so that poster you know, was right another time too i gotta tell you was fun because we went me and jimmy as i say as i say we shopped a lot we'd go and shopping around and, and, and we went to this place where they have a the guards in front of a castle oh, and yeah. they can't and, and they can't smile they're not allowed to move their face or nothing and i was dressed yeah. i dressed up as the mountie <laughs> <laughs> and i got in front of one of them oh my god you know it's so funny he never he never budged 
you know, he never, never busts. And I gave it my all, boy, I'll tell you, as a law enforcement officer. That's amazing. <laughs> but that uh, was off. That was off the air, you know. They they never showed that. It was just something that yeah. me and Jimmy Jimmy did. But uh, <laughs> that, was, that was a good souvenir, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a hell of a memory, though. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but obviously, Jack, the, you know, the huge news that we, you know, are dying to speak to you about, obviously, Wrestling Academy 2022, mm. you come up with such a unique and, in, you know, innovative concept, um, you know, some of Canada's finest uh, male and female wrestlers got the chance to earn a huge opportunity. Can you tell us a bit more about, about what you come up with? My God, thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited to talk about this because three years ago, my three sons, they quit the business, my three sons. Mm -hmm. And they and they, I asked them a last match. I wanted to have a match tag team with my three sons, four against four. And 30 years before that, my father did the same thing. He wrestled with me, Raymond, and Arma, and him. So he finished his career like that. So it was memorable. It was memorable for me. Yeah. But but it was also a downfall in my mind because I was born wrestling. I was born on a mat, and I want to. I, when I die, I want to be put on a on a ring in the river, and I want them to burn me because you know that's how I want to finish my life. I've I've always yeah. been passionate about life. Wrestling has always brought me some great things in life. How I felt about myself and everything. And three years ago, it all failed. And then one year after I was suffering because there was no more wrestling into me, then came the COVID. So it was like then, then it was another mental breakdown. And, and so finally I had enough. And about like six months ago, you know, I, I just had this idea because while the pandemic was going on, I was doing some podcasts with some celebrities in Quebec, all kinds of celebrities. And they were all helping me out. It was amazing because they were doing it for free, too. They were really they I got a lot of help from them. And, and I had one girl that that uh, she was on a show called Star Academy, which was like a, an elimination of singers that they go from a certain numbers to the last winners. Right. And when I had her on my podcast, when I like about a year ago, and she started talking about that, and then just a, something came to my mind. I said, "Wow, that would be great with wrestlers, you know, wouldn't it?" And, you know, and and it just started. So then I said to myself, "I'm going to do this in Quebec, just my province of Quebec. I'm going to try to do a little academy of wrestling where I eliminate them." But yeah, but you know, I have no idea what I was getting into because I'm so. Uh, how can I say that humbly? I'm so popular in wrestling with everybody around the world that when, mm -hmm. and I'm so connected, everybody in wrestling's connected with me. So I put that little thing on my Facebook, like, you know, hey, if you guys want to come and join my, I'll have an elimination. I'll get 40 wrestlers, girls and women, and we're going to eliminate them. And the four winners are going to win $5,000 each. And, 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 and that was at the start. And, and, then I, and then as we went along into this, we started getting a few inscriptions and this and that. And out of nowhere, I just had the idea. I called QT Marshall at the Nightmare Factory, the, one of the hottest uh, schools right now that feeds the AEW. And, 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 and it's not related in the contest, but it feeds them. They're all going yeah. to feed in that school. So I said to myself, since I didn't have a deal with AEW or with WWF, I said to myself, well, maybe if I get the school that feeds them, that would be a nice prize. So I called I called this guy, QT Marshall. I don't know who he is. There's a guy called Devin Hannibal Nicholson who, who gives me the number of QT Marshall. So I call him up and I ask him, I said, would you mind? I said, if I did a big, big competition in Quebec here. And then I said, my four winners would, I just would like, if you wouldn't mind, we'll drive down to Atlanta one day. And I just want you to give them the chance to be seen by you guys. Like, you know, evaluated just like in the ring on the mics. And that would be so prestigious for them. 
So, so it's like he said, yeah. He said, no problem, Jacques. I have a lot of respect for you and wrestling. And then, sure, I'll do that. So then I, I'm starting to write that on my Facebook, like, hey, the four winners are not only going to win $5,000 each, but they're going to go down to the Nightmare Factory for one day to get evaluated. Next thing you know, I'm getting an email from Ontario. And then I get one from Halifax. And I'm going like Ontario, they could drive. Yeah, it's not too far. Halifax, it's okay. It's the next province to the east there. They could drive, you know. And, and the next thing you know, I'm getting some emails from Vancouver, from Manitoba, and then from the States. And then I get an inscription from Hawaii. And then I get one from Texas. And then I'm going like, I'm looking at my girlfriend who's a partner in me into this thing. And I'm going like, hey, wait a minute now. This is getting big, like you know, <laughs> but, I, but, but I but I don't want it because you know I'm just I gotta pay the transportation, I gotta get the sponsors. I already had the four sponsors of five thousand dollars. So then I was mm -hmm. saying to myself, so then I said, whoa, 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 whoa. So then I wrote everybody and said, listen, I'll keep it in Canada this year. You know, we'll just keep yeah. it in Canada, and then we'll find the sponsors for that. And all the inscriptions came in so quickly. And then the biggest thing happened to me just last week. So we're going on with the impression that the four winners get $5,000. They get a day at the Nightmare Factory. And then, but every podcast I'm doing, I'm talking about QT Marshall. And I'm talking about the Nightmare Factory. So they start getting calls. So then QT Marshall last week, he calls me up. He says, Jacques, you're doing a great, great job of marketing. He says, I'm getting calls from around the world right now about my Nightmare. <laughs> and they're all asking me. Is it true that Jacques Rougeau's wrestlers are going to be evaluated by you? And he saw the big interest. So he called me and he said, Jacques, let's make that better. Instead of me taking them for one day, let's I'll take them for one week at a training camp. Oh, wow. Man. And that just was a boom. Yeah. It's like now all my all my talent in Canada, <laughs> when I wrote that on my Facebook, hey, great news, great news. Now it's incredible. It's like there's a, a frenzy. There's like a, it's like a, we're gravity. You know, everything mm. is coming to us and everybody's... So that's why if you go on my website, which is wrestling-academy.ca, you'll see all kinds of celebrities. Yeah, I even have GSP there, the MMA guy. I have all <laughs> kinds of disciplines, people from different eras, that, uh, not eras, but different uh, 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 branches, like music, uh, humorists, uh, and they're all have a video and they're old wrestlers. I got Coco Beware, the Million Dollar Man. I got Ronnie Garvin. I got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And it goes on and on. And if you go and they all send me little videos, about 30 seconds videos saying, hey, you Canadian wrestlers, you got a great opportunity with Jacques Rougeau, my friend. And you know, and then they, and they put all those, so you can all see that on my website. And, and then it became what it is now where, where, where there's not, five days of work in a week anymore. It's seven days of week. Uh, yes. Seven days of work. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, uh, it's, it's, we have so many things to do and putting videos on every day. And, and, and my girlfriend, who's a great part of me, she's getting all this work I'm giving her every day now. And she's got to put a, something on the website, but then she's got to tag everybody, all the wrestlers, you know, to keep the interest. So oh, she's tagging it. about four hours a day these days, you know, just the <laughs> articles and stuff. But it's amazing. And we have... Uh, a couple of platforms that are going to be showing this event. So they're going to be all this talent in Canada that are young talent, good talent, but either they didn't know the right people or they weren't at the right place at the right time. And they never had a chance to cross the border to go to the United States. Yeah. And now I'm giving that opportunity to them. The four winners are going to come to the States and just for, just to be looked at. They don't have any, they're not going to work. They're not getting paid, but it's going to be free for them. But it's just that, 
they're going to have a chance to be seen at the right place yeah. at the right time. And then so, so, so all that. So this, this, and you know, it's funny because if you go on the website, then again, every picture you see on the website, wrestling-academy.ca, you will see the talent, a little bio of them. And then you click on their picture and then you see videos of all their highlights, you know, and stuff. It's, if I'm yeah. a wrestling fan and I'm not a wrestler, I'm going to check that out from A to Z. You know, it's just oh. amazing to see all the characters. Some are funny, some are rough, some are charismatic, <laughs> some are... And, and the other thing about this contest, which is amazing, amazing, there are going to be three judges by the ring for 12 shows, and, and they're going to vote, the three, but they're only going to vote at 40%. And at 60%, everybody around the world, you guys, if you go on wrestling-academy.ca, you can subscribe, and when it starts you'll be able to vote to who you want to keep and who you want to let go. And the fun thing about it is not who wins or who loses. It's They're going to be judged by their ability in the ring, by their microphone interviews, by their charisma and all that stuff. So so you, you're sitting in England, Liverpool, and you want to follow this event. Well, you just subscribe. And then when at the end of the match, you have the whole week to, to, to go ahead and send a text to win to say, well, even, even though that guy lost, he, he was so good. Like, we all know that when you make a movie, let's say, for example, and you, and you make a Batman movie, if you want a real good Batman movie, you have to have a real good Joker. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and so so we're not judging on who wins and who loses. We're judging <clears> on the talent. And, and so everybody around the world, because I did podcasts in Australia last week, I'm doing some all over the world, and I'm begging people who enjoyed my career to follow this thing because it's going to be like a 12-week adventure and at the at the last end you're going to have some talent that are going to come out of there because the talent is amazing that we have in mm -hmm. Canada yeah it's you know it, it is revolutionary really you know it's crazy that nothing like this has ever existed like you've had your, you know your tough enough competitions and th this is something else this this is huge you've got like you know as you said like 40 percent judges 60 percent of you know the people, like the people can actually influence this. Yeah. That's right. And, 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 you know, like you said, it was an amazing thing about this. And I didn't even realize when I was doing this because I was so caught up in it that, I, that that's the first time that the, the first time that the 10 provinces in Quebec are working together. You know, and it's like it, it's it's me. And, I, and now I, I'm, it's so funny because, you know, I, I didn't even think of this because I'm a genius. It just happened. It's because it's a passion. And, 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 you know, and everybody's talking to me now today and I'm getting from info and some inputs from everybody. And they're all saying the same thing. Jacques, thank you for giving a chance to the talent in Canada. And I'm saying, like, I didn't do nothing. You know, I just, it just <laughs> happened, you know, it just, but it's there now. And, and, and there we are. Amazing. Yeah, fantastic. So um, obviously you mentioned. I, you know what? I don't know you guys. I, I'm sorry, cutting you off. No, no I want to bring this to. Uh, if ever you go on the website, mm -hmm. I don't know if you could go, but there's two. If we could show two videos to the people that to show them really how serious this is, there's one that if you go on on, on wrestling-academy.ca and you pull out QT Marshall's interview, he did an interview that that confirms everything I'm doing. He gives me my credibility, actually. So if you could play that, if you could show that, insert that in the show, I would really love for people to see that QT Marshall interview. If that's, is that possible for you guys to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll insert it. Yeah, yeah, we will do. That was uh, one of the points I was going to get to, is that um, that would be probably a perfect time to show QT's video. Um, so we, as I say, we'll we'll sort of bring that into into the episode. Yeah, fantastic. Great. So let's, let's go ahead and act. Let's... Look at it. 
Hey everybody, this is QT Marshall from All Elite Wrestling and one of the owners of one of the best training facilities in the world, the Nightmare Factory. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Nick, who runs a Rise podcast, and this evening has Jacques Rougeau on there. And Jacques has a great project in the works. I'm excited about it. In fact, the Nightmare Factory has even uh, told Mr. Rougeau that the winners of this project will receive a special three-month, 12-week scholarship to the Nightmare Factory, which has seen athletes from all over the world come train with us. And, and honestly, some have signed contracts with major wrestling organizations in the world, such as AEW and stuff like that. So um, I'm excited for this project. I think it's a great for, for aspiring professional wrestlers all throughout Canada. Um, I support it, and I hope that if all works out well, I'll be able to come up to Montreal and partake in being one of the judges of this of this special project. So good luck to everyone. Just wanted to say hello. Just wanted to let everybody know that it is me um, and we are offering this scholarship to the winners. So uh, you can read into it, whatever you want, but you've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. It is true. And again, good luck to everyone and hopefully see you soon. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, you know, doesn't that give me credibility? I can't believe it. And then, and then if you guys have another 30 seconds, if you don't mind, I'd really like for you to show the most iconic wrestler that ever came out of Canada, Brett the Hitman Hart. If you want to, he gave me credibility incredible. So if you want to show that one, oh, we yeah, can no, take a look at it's that. Only right, like you say. Absolutely. Let's look at that one. Yeah, we'll play that now. Hey, this is Brett the Hitman Hart, and I want to wish all the best to Jock Rujo and his Wrestling Academy 2022. I know they got a big event coming up, a big contest and a great opportunity for wrestlers across Canada, men and women, to train and maybe win $5,000 and ultimately get a chance to train with QT Marshall and the Nightmare Factory and maybe get a chance to maybe wrestle for AEW. But all I know is this is a great opportunity for every young wrestler. And I want to just thank Jock Russo for putting the idea together. I hope it works out really well. And may the best wrestlers win. What can I say? Indeed. Rip the Hitman Hard who endorses my project. And he encourages all the Canadian female and male wrestlers to subscribe. And even calls me his friend. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny about that? I got to tell you what's funny is... When I did that angle with Brett also, with when I was the Mountie, you may not be aware of that, but I did an angle where 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 uh, Jimmy Hart came out with a pail of water. And I don't know if you ever saw that. He came out, and if ever you want to go see it on YouTube, you could find it out there. Uh, Jacques Rougeau uh, uh, stings, uh, shocks Brett the Hitman Hart, and he goes into the ring, and he comes, and it's a non-title match. And then I come out with my music and everything. Brett's already in the ring, and then he... I take the microphone from the floor and I say, hey, why isn't this a title match? And then he looks at me and we start going at it. I'm on the floor. He's in the ring and he keeps repeating. It's not a title match because you don't deserve it. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. I really want to know why is this not a title match? So they're getting pissed off. Like uh, me, uh, Gorilla Monsoon's on the outside with uh, Bobby Hinn doing the commentary. And and, and there was uh, uh, just who was there with them? There was another iconic. Uh, anyway, and they were saying that. He told you three times. Get so then I said, no, no, wait a minute. Why don't you come out here on the floor right now and come to my face and tell me why is this not a title match? So he comes out of the ring. And when he comes out of the ring, he gets right in front of me. But but from behind, Jimmy Hart comes with a big pail of water and he shoots the pail of water on him. So he turns around to see Jimmy and I pull my shock stick and I zap him. And he's all soaking wet. 
and you should see the heat that I had. Holy mackerel. Like people wanted to kill me. And he was shaking on the floor. And he was in a pile of water. That was amazing. And now there he is promoting my wrestling academy for me. So Still your friend after that. <laughs> that, was, that was a real shot. <laughs> so um, this may be a question you might not uh, be able to or, or want to answer at this point, but I'll be cheeky. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. So you've mentioned, or your website mentions um, guest judges each week. Um, is there any any sort of spoilers or hints you might be able to give it who some of your guest judges would be? Yeah, 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 I can. Uh, one that confirmed already out of all the friends that are helping me is Ronnie Garvin. You know, hands of oh, stone, nice. Ronnie Garvin. And uh, I, I, I can't confirm everybody, anybody, but they, uh, uh, yes, there's Andre Roy of the Montreal, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightnings that he won the Stanley Cup. He confirmed he wanted to be one. And there's also uh, Robert Maillet, you know, from New Brunswick, the big giant that played in the movie 300 and played Sherlock oh, yeah, Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. the big giant. Yeah, He's going to yeah. be there. I'm hoping that Amazing. I'll be able to get Brett. I'm hoping I'll be able to get GSP. I'm hoping to get the... But you know what? Everybody's so kind to me now. It's so funny. Mm. It, as much as it was hard in the business, in the dressing room, there was like tension. There was... Tr Everybody trying to make it to the top, so there was some animosity. There was now it's all gone. They're all retired. They're all so so. All those aggressive things that were happening, they all disappeared. So now I talked just today. I had a video which will be posted probably in a couple of days. But I talked with Jake the Snake, and he's oh, going to nice. be he's going to be part of this. Oh, so amazing. it's like so yeah. so I, so it's amazing what's happening. So I can't confirm who's going to be there, but I. I have the idea, the, the premonition or the feeling that whoever I call, they're going to come. <laughs> so, 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 so yeah. like you say, it's, it's quite funny, but I suppose in a sense, like you, you, you can all relate now. now. Now that element of competition is gone, as you say, you can all relate to what it was like in the business, especially in that, in that time as well. So it's something you all, a bond you all shared, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, and there was something too also that that every time a new talent would come in, you know, Vince had, had the way of making us feel like kings, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I remember the first time I met Vince, you know, with Raymond, it was in 86, we came into Stamford, Connecticut, and he had a big limousine come and pick us up. It was the big style, the big stuff, yeah. you know, like <laughs> like we were going to Hollywood, you know, for, for, for a singer or an actor. Yeah. But so we got to, to Vince's, and, and he had this crazy line that, 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 that amazed me. At the end of the the, 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 the conference we had there, the meeting, I had I took I got my I got my nurse all together there and I, I, I and I I, I I got brave there for a second and then I, I took a chance and I said Vince, uh, what do you what do you plan on doing with us, you know? And and then he said he looked at me and he said Jacques, the sky is the limit. And 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 then down the road I found out that he said that to all the guys. The sky is the limit. So, 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 so it's like today when we all look at that, and today when we're we're all out of the WWF, and when I had my falling out with Vince McMahon after being with Carl and all that, I just told everybody at the time, and I told myself specifically because I own wrestling. I was born in wrestling. I was fourth generation or third, actually. My kids are fourth. And I said, nobody could take wrestling away from me. So I told myself, I created my own company for 20 years up in Quebec after that. Uh, Family-oriented shows. But, but I always said to myself, uh, there's life after WWF. It's not the end of the world. You know, and I created my own world. And now that all that, the guys, the boys from different eras or different areas, 
they, and, and time, they realize they're in the same position of me. They have found a new life. They're doing something else. But at the time when we were with Vince, because he had killed all the small territories everywhere, we thought that if you lose Vince, you lose your career. And, and mm. which was not that. And I was never put in that situation because I always confronted Vince like, hey, thank you for everything you're doing, but you better thank me for all the work I'm doing for you because, you know, I'm, I'm great talent. And if you don't have great talent, you can't put what you have together. Yeah. You know, so it was like we both needed each other. So and I always thought that even if he wasn't there anymore, I'll do good in wrestling anyway because yeah. I was born to do that. I'm right. Absolutely. Um, so obviously you mentioned, uh, obviously QT Marshall, you know, the nightmare factory, absolutely huge for the, um, you know, the, the, the contestants Canadian in the wrestler. competition. The absolutely. Um, but, you know, this could potentially, you know, as you said, nothing's guaranteed, but it could potentially lead to something, you know, down the road with the likes of AEW or something like that. What, um, what are your thoughts on today's product? Obviously AEW, WWE, the two kind of power horses. Uh, you're not, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you, but, <laughs> but, but you're really not. Uh, when I had my falling out uh, with Vince and, 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 and I think it was in the, 94, I think, 95, had my falling out with him. I was so hurt by the way things happened. I never watched wrestling again. I haven't seen a wrestling match in 30 years on TV. I have no idea who's hot except The Rock and uh, Stone Cold who's going like this because I heard it from my <laughs> students at my wrestling school or, or Kurt Angle or the big names that came out. The only one that I really knew was Kevin Owen because he came out of my school. Course, and I, yeah. taught him, I taught him for five years. He was 14 years old when he came to my school and I kept him till 19 years old and then he went on the road and he made it big. But mm -hmm. I was the one who... You showed him the base of wrestling. But apart mm -hmm. from that, but I even never followed him when he left after that because when he left and me, we had a little something. So it was like mm -hmm. the, he had bigger things in mind and it was like he was turning the page on me. So, okay, so so I, I just uh, did my own thing. So, so it's a sad thing today uh, in one hand that I don't know any of the talent, you know, and, and, and the, but, but the thing about that that's good is by not watching the wrestling at all, never, when I had my 20 years of show after that, I was never copying on them. I was never using their ideas. I was yeah. using my, yeah, my course, ideas, yeah. my imagination. So everything was good because I was good in wrestling as far as imagination and scripts and stuff like that. So that worked for me. But now when I go into Comic-Cons, it's a little embarrassing. You know, I go someplace and sometimes I'm sitting like the other day, I went to, to New York and I did a Comic-Con and there was a couple of those three people there that every, you know, they were going to see sighing and they were, the old people coming to see me and the young people were coming to see them. And then, and then I had to ask him at one point, I said, uh, uh, I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm the Mountie. And they all looked at me like, yeah, I know. And, and I said, well, who are you? Like, you know, uh, what's your name? And then I had a couple that looked at me like, what the fuck you mean? Oh, sorry. Like, you know, <laughs> what, what do you mean? You don't know who I am, you know? And, uh, and the, so I did not. I, I don't recognize the talent of today, which could be very embarrassing for me at some times. <laughs> but no, like as you say, I can um, I can totally respect sort of why, and like you say, it keeps that I don't know, keeps what you're doing sort of pure in a, in a way. Yeah, that would be one way. Then one you could say it. it's more. <laughs> it's not, you could say pure, or you could just say 
innovation and new ideas and just and yeah. not copying copying exactly yeah, yeah. So, so that was fun too and, and the, the, especially that the fact that when i started my federation uh for 20 years i started with like 200 people in the in the stadium like you know in the in the arenas 200 people but we worked hard we worked hard and then after two three years we we're going up to six seven hundred people and then after a couple of more years we were up in a thousand two thousand people and then the last five years of my company before my kids quit three years ago because it was my dream and not theirs <laughs> and, and they told <laughs> me that they said now we don't want no more wrestling it's your dream it's not ours but but the last five years we were having like five thousand and seven thousand people per show you know so i yeah. created something from scratch you know and a show where there was no kicks no kicks no punches there was no girls in my show no offense ladies i just didn't want no sexual content and that's what the big thing that was happening with vince so i got away from that yeah and then awesome. we have like five thousand people in the arena and they weren't allowed to sell beer because I didn't want them to sell beer because me, I always told, since there's no kicks, no punches, it was all like a Walt Disney kind of show. I had like Chewbacca interfering with Darth Vader. I had the mummy against Spider-Man. I had, it was like yeah. a show, a kitsch, a family show where people, it was all acrobatics and high flying and stuff like that. So I went to the companies and I sold myself all my tickets when I got into a town, promising the presidents of the companies, hey, you got a kid that's four years and older, he could come and watch my show. You know, it's available for him, you know, and, yeah. and so, so, so what a great thing I did. And plus, you know, something that I'd like to share with all you people out there, yeah. because it means a lot to me. After that incident with the bulldog and, uh, and, and the intimidation, the bullying that I suffered in the dressing room, it, 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 it did something good to me. Because when I quit the wrestling business and I started my own company, like in 89, from that day on, there's just, it just happened one time, a school across the street from my house. He just asked me to go do a, a conference for the kids. And I want to do it for the fun of it, you know, and just, yeah. and then I came into that bullying situation, you know, and I talked a little bit briefly about it, you know, and that was it. And then one school called another, and then one school called another. And for 20 years, when I was doing my business, I must have done at least in 20 years, if I didn't do 200 schools, I didn't do one. And I all I did them all for free. And, you know, and people were I was going to do conferences only on bullying. And I was showing them how to avoid bullying without using violence. Yeah. And that was that was by being together, by sticking together. And I was giving them tricks. And I became famous for that in Quebec now. And, and as a matter of fact, just in about two weeks, from, uh, a month and a half from now, there's a, something happened in a school here a couple of months ago. I think it was a couple or maybe a year ago. There was a little kid that had a shirt on and he had a pink shirt on and he got bullied that day. So the school organized the pink day. So if you go on Internet, you'll see pink day. So now That's I'm going to be the spokesman of that event here in Quebec. I'm going to be the spokesman oh, and everybody's going to be dressed in pink. Everybody that's going to go to school that day is going to be dressed in pink. And they should, because they knew I was doing things about bullying, yeah. they, they, they brought me into that. And a guy called Mike Cohen, who takes care of that. And uh, so I'm going to have the honor of just going back once again and talk about, about how to, how to uh, avoid bullying by sticking together all my little tricks that I put together there. Yeah. That's, that, that's that, fantastic. Honestly, that is amazing that you took something that was obviously such a, a torrid time in your own life and being able to take that and obviously, you know, um, teach children about obviously the, you know, how to handle situations. It's amazing. The pink shirt day, it's called. And, and, and what was great about that, 
a lot of people at the beginning because it, it's not from only today that you have haters on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, you know what haters are, right? People have tried to destroy you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was funny at the beginning, I had some people that were telling me, like, you know, oh yeah, Rujo's going into the school because he he wants to look good. You know, he wants to sh look sharp. They look, and you know what was funny about that? When I started that after that first conference I did at the beginning, 20 years early, I started my first one. When I walked out of there, I felt good. It was like a therapy for me. It was like, hey. And then when the 20 years that followed, every time I went into a school and I'd sit down, I'd do my conference. And it was so funny, my conference. I got to tell you this. It's worth it. I was doing an hour conference at the time of a, of a class, an hour. I'd go and there was like three, 400 people. They'd bring all the school into the, the Agora or the, the public place. Mm. And I'd do my conference in the last 10 minutes. Well, actually, I started my conference by telling the kids, listen. If you guys are really nice to me during the conference, you see that big mat I got over there? It was like two feet thick. They're a big, big, soft mat there. I say, if you guys are nice to me and you listen to me and you're polite with me, I'm going to bring that big mat out here in the last 15 minutes of this conference. I want you to give me the name of your teachers and I'm going to take them on the mat. You know, and, 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 I, and I do power bombs. I do suplexes to the teachers. So that was like a reward to the kids. So during That's my amazing. conference, every time I talked to them, every time I was, they would listen because every time they like they deviate a little bit out of the subject or they were laughing or talking between them, I'd stop. I'd stop talking. And then they'd all stop. And then they'd all look at the two people that were having fun there. And they all looked at them. And then finally I'd say, you guys finished? You finished? I don't mind if you guys want to continue, go ahead. Because if we don't have enough time, there's not going to be any mattresses at the end. <laughs> so then they all start listening again. So I got my <laughs> points across. And I was re and then one school told the other, hey, you should get Jacques Rougeau to come talk. He's got the way of talking to the kids where they listen. You know, he's got to. And, and, and every time I do that, and I remember a couple of times, one time specifically, I finished my lesson. And there was these two little girls that came up to me. And one little girl came up to me and she said she was crying. And the other one, actually, the girl beside the girl was crying. She came up to me and she said, and I, and, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, well, she's being bullied, you know. And I said, really? And I said, by who? And then she pinpointed that little kid, that, that little chubby kid there at the other end that was a little tough guy, a little bully. So, so I said, oh, yeah, okay. I said, hold on a second. So I went to see the director, the, the, uh, the, the principal of the school. And I said, would you mind having a little meeting with me and a couple of students? And so I, so here we go. The, 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 the principal's sitting there, the little girl who's being bullied sitting there. And then I'm sitting here. And then the guy comes in because I had him go get him, the bully. So they bring him in. And as soon as he came in, he walked and then bang. It was like shock factor. He saw his, he saw his victim, the principal, and me who's against bullying, you know? So he just came in the room and he'd be like silence. And then I'd only look at him and I swear to God, I'd look at him and I'd say, you know why you're here, right? And then he'd look at me and he'd say, yes. I said, it's not going to happen anymore, right? He said, no. I said, okay, cool. And I was his hero because I just beat up his teacher two minutes ago on the mat, you know? <laughs> so, so I had this great relationship with the kids and the schools. And up till now, I get demands to go into schools and I don't want to do it anymore. I did it for 20 years, you know? I, mm. And I feel better now, you know? I'm okay now. My brain's yeah. back to normal. So, and, and people who help people, people who give conferences and, and help people in life, usually it's because they're sick. They got hit by something that traumatized them in life. So it helps them comprehend yeah, yeah and so so that's what i did 
And now that's why the pink day shirt coming up two months. Like it's been a while. It's been three years since I've done a conference now. And I was amazed and I, and I was surprised that they remembered me as a guy who knows how to speak to the kids and how to fix intimidation, you know? So, so that's something I'll leave in the, in the past when I, when I'm gone, you know? Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Definitely. Like you say, um, it's it's great to see from the fact that they still remember you and they're still sort of um, sort of asking you to come along. It, it just shows the legacy you've left there and, and the difference you've made to those kids. Yeah, it's it's a great heritage that I think oh, I will yeah. without a doubt. <clears throat> so, um, you guys are out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, I think uh, I, th I think they're <laughs> enough. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, I suppose one from me, um, you know, have we got a date in mind yet of when this might all kick off? Yes, May, approximately. Not an exact date May. because of the variants and COVID and all that, but we're looking at May to start this thing. And uh, so May, June, July. And, and uh, I'm so excited because uh, right now, you know, we I met with my first sponsor. Now we have the four sponsors for $5,000. So that I got that in. And I also got mm -hmm. from Ontario, I got a bus company that are going to transport all the wrestlers from Ontario for free. And now I met this sponsor yesterday and I'm, I have a new approach, which is fun now in this thing. So I, I go to see the sponsor and I say, listen, because he's a fan of mine and all that. I say, listen, go see my wrestling-academy.ca there. And I said, if you want to help me, choose one of the wrestlers you want from Vancouver, from Halifax, Manitoba, Winnipeg or anywhere. And you pay the flights of the guy when they come like the plane tickets. So we're going to go get all the plane tickets like that for everybody. And I asked the guy, I said, you choose who you want. I said, if you want to be a big sponsor, the guys, the wrestler's probably going to come in the most four or five times to win, you know? So that means four or five times $500 tickets. So that means 2,500. But I said, if you just want to help me a little bit, Go find a skinny one or one you don't like. So he's probably going to get eliminated in the first round. So he'll only pay $500, you know. So, but, but he's going to choose. The, I'm going to have the people go on the website to choose whoever they want to. And the good thing about it is if the guy has a little bit of money and he wants to get into this thing, he's going to choose a good one. And there's a lot of good ones because at the end, I'm going to make sure, and I promised all my sponsors, when the day they get eliminated, they're going to be doing a mic, uh, an interview by the ring, you know, well, sorry, you know, but I hope you enjoyed this experience and this. And they have a mandate of saying, well, I want to thank this company who paid for my transportation, you know, during, so I'll give them oh, like exposure. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so what a fun thing, huh? This is all okay. together. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Brilliant. So obviously um, you've mentioned the website, which is where we can all follow the competition as it goes on. Uh, so it's wrestling-academy.ca, apologies. Um but uh, just for our listeners at home, um, would you be able to sort of tell them how they can keep in touch or sort of follow yourself on social medias and the like? Yeah, well, they could go on my, you know, I have an open Facebook, but if they really, really want to follow what's going on and they want to follow why my wife is taking four hours a day of tagging everybody, <laughs> so they, 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 they just need to go on the website, like you said, wrestling-academy.ca, but they could subscribe right now. Right. So if they subscribe, Every time I get some news or a new video, like Jake the Snake's video is coming in next week, they'll have a notification and they'll be able to see what's happening. And this is getting so big. And when comes the time to vote, well, we're going to be notifying everybody. So they'll get a notification and they'll see where they could text or whatever and all that. So, I, But to be honest with you, 
this is such a big project. I'm like a chicken without a head and I don't have everything figured out yet. <laughs> no, so, when we get close, so when we get close, I'm going to have the real people who are technical and do all that stuff. They'll inform me how it's going to work and yeah. I'll inform the people that have subscribed on my wrestling-academy.ca. Brilliant. Absolutely. We'll also be well, you know. a link in the description <laughs> below for those listening. Yeah, and of course, obviously, we are subscribed as well. But obviously, Jack, absolute pleasure and honour just to have you on the show, obviously, you know, for me growing up as well, just uh, chatting to one of my heroes. So, Say can't hi wait to for the rest of the Academy 2022. Say we'll hi. do, Say we'll do. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, he's going to be um, there, but obviously, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, we can't wait for Wrestling Academy 2022, see which lucky winners, obviously, get the opportunity to train for a full week now with QT Marshall, uh, wow. obviously, at the Nightmare Factory. Wow. So, incredible opportunity but um we're going to be following we're subscribed and we can't wait to see thank it. you very much so thank you carl thank you anthony i really really enjoyed this podcast you actually saw that i laughed more than you guys <laughs> but, uh, but oh, I it's really been an absolute thank honor you. and you're an absolute gentleman so thank you very much honestly thank you very much so cheers cheers jack thank you very much <laughs>